Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Fuji podcast. March brings us version 20 of Java. Let's take a look inside. Welcome to the Fuji podcast, all your news about OpenJDK. Since 2018, we get a new version of Java every six months. Some of those are long-term supported versions that can be used for many years, while others are only maintained for a short time. Version 20 is such a short-term supported version. So what new features does this version bring and why should we use it? And what can we expect from the next version 21 in September that will be a long-term supported version? Let's find out. Good morning. Hello. Welcome. Uh, my name is Simon Ritter. I'm the Deputy CTO at Azul. Uh, I have been working with Java really from the very beginning because I joined Sun way back in 1996, pretty much the same week that JDK 1.0 was released. And I followed Java all the way through the Sun years, got acquired by Oracle, spent five years there. And for the last seven and a half years, nearly, I've been at Azul. Hey, I am Miro. So I joined the side at 2000, but I'm younger. Uh, but uh, since uh, 2000, so I'm, I'm pretty much in, in Java. I really love the ecosystem and discovering. I really uh, like to use the Java SOX devices. So I have been called the robotics small framework to see how it works with the hardware. And last year, I'm working as a a principal engineer at Open Value and helping the clients to migrate some of those to Azure system. So they are pretty happy with the migration. And I have authored a new book, which will be introduced hopefully today. And I'm Frank Deporte. I've been doing Java development for many years and in July uh, last year joined Azul as a technical writer. And I'm now making these podcasts for Fuji because I want to know more about Java and learn from all these experts in the community. So we have Java 20. Uh, we released this podcast in the week that Java 20 is released. Can we expect any new major feature, new things that have been added, Simon? Well, there's only one thing which is truly new, and even then it's uh, a preview feature, and that's the idea of scoped values. This is related to Project Loom, and Project Loom started being introduced into the JDK in the last release, so JDK 19, and that's when we started seeing things like uh, the introduction of virtual threads and structured concurrency. And what they've done is they've they've added this new JEP, which is, as I say, is around the idea of scoped values. And the idea behind this is really as a sort of replacement for the way that thread local variables work, because they say that there are some issues around the idea of using thread local variables. Um, one of them is the fact that they're mutable. And it seems that, that when it comes to using or, or writing programs, there's a real kind of uh, difference of opinion about whether you should have mutability or not mutability in your application, you know, your variables and so on. Uh, so they, they've introduced this idea of scoped values, which are immutable versus thread local variables, which are mutable. So that's one of kind of the big change there. But as I say, this is part of Project Loom and is this idea of implementing virtual threads into the JVM. So that's really kind of the, the only new feature, if you like. The other things which are included in JDK 20 are updates to existing JEPs, JDK enhancement proposals um, that have been introduced in previous versions, and they're, they're going through revisions of that. So maybe that's something uh, we can explain is with each new version of Java, there are improvements in the whole system, but there are also 
incubator and preview features that are not enabled by default, but they keep evolving with each new release until they become really a new feature, correct? Yes, yes, that's right. So the, the idea is that preview features are focused primarily on the language. And if you look at things like um, record patterns, for example, because that's one thing which is going through some changes at the moment. So that's a preview feature. And as you rightly said, by default, you don't get those features in the language because they're not part of the specification. They have to be provided in the implementation, but they're not turned on by default. You need to explicitly, when you compile your code, tell the compiler that you want to use these preview features. And then when you run your application, you also need to tell the JVM that it needs to enable those preview features as well. So preview features are primarily around the language. And then you've got incubator modules, which is more APIs and tooling so that you can introduce new um, classes, new libraries, and so on uh, in the same way. Now, there's a little bit of misunderstanding about these things because people sometimes think that preview features and incubator modules are more about kind of beta testing, but that's not the case. The idea is that these features have been delivered complete, they're finished, they're absolutely ready to go, they could be used in production, there's no issue with that. The reason that they're not fully integrated into the platform is more to do with the idea that the developers of OpenJDK want to give people a chance to look at these features and decide if there are things that need to be altered to make it more valuable to developers. To give you an example of that, when we had the introduction of the switch expression, which is a nice thing because it allows us to return a value from a switch and then assign that once. And we don't have to remember to put each assignment in the set of case statements that we're, we're working with. That was really good. But they also allowed people to use the sort of old style syntax of the switch statement with a switch expression. And that involved the idea of using break with a value. People said, well, yes, you can get away with that because you can break to a label and that, that's one way you can use break. And a label can't start and cannot be a number. So you can differentiate between break returning a value from a switch expression and break to a label outside of the, uh, the, the loop that you're in. But it's a bit sort of difficult to see. You know, it makes things unclear. So the developer said, yeah, we understand that. So rather than using break, we'll use yield. And it makes it much clearer because you say, okay, yield with a value break to a label. So it's things like that where it didn't change any of the, the way that the feature worked. It just made it a little bit clearer, a little bit easier to work with that kind of thing. So it's, it's a very powerful way of doing things. And that is really one of the big benefits we've seen of having this six-month release cycle is you can do incubator modules and preview features. If you've got two, three years between releases, you, you just can't do that. It doesn't make any sense. But six months, great, because you can do six months of development, then maybe another six months of development, two or three releases. It's part of the, the specification. You mentioned scoped values is uh, a new version uh, in this uh, 20, but there's also record patterns. We have foreign function, there's virtual threat improvements, there's structured concurrency, uh, pattern matching. So there is a lot of evolution even there in, in this version 20, although it's not open yet. Eh? So we will probably see a lot of these in the next version 21 then being finished. Is that the idea? I think so. Um, as you say, there are seven JEPs in total in JDK 20. One of them, the idea of scope values, that's the new one. 
all the others are revisions to existing JEPs that were, have been introduced in, in earlier versions. And as you quite rightly point out, because JDK 21 is going to be a long-term support release, I would expect that several of the ones which are currently in preview or incubator will be then a formal part of JDK 21 so that people can use those in um, production without having to turn on preview features uh, um, explicitly. So I think that's that's definitely going to be something we'll see. I'm kind of hopeful that the idea of virtual threads project loom will be part of JDK 21. It, it looks yeah. quite likely at the moment, but you know we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I can't guarantee that. Uh, I agree with, with Simon. I can't agree. The scope value, it's, it's true. It's, it's a something new. And I may think they added there to avoid to use the thread local as a thread local will allocate some memory. It's mutable. Then if you have a million virtual threads and use it uh, thread local there, oh, come on. You can be kind of disappointed <laughs> about what you get in the end. And actually, if you use the thread locals, it's allocate the memory. And that's the other problem. And the uh, scope value are kind of, yes, they are immutable. I mean, they are. Uh, it's promoted as a as a feature, but it's kind of requirements. If you think that you will kind of uh, like a child thread will extend, uh, like will get the access to this value, and then you have more child threads in the virtual threads world, you will be not really sure which kind of value you get if this would be mutable. Aside of it, the virtual threads are really kind of tiny wrappers. They are behave like threads. Yeah, but they are just really wrapper, and the scope value has allocated just one value, one memory place, and that's that's the very big benefit. I, I see. I hope that it will make it the scope value <laughs> into the virtual test and virtual test also to to the to the release twenty one because it can really help a lot of scenarios. I, I mean, I can imagine if there's already put so many effort into developing all these things and putting them in OpenJDK, even if they are incubator or preview features, the goal is definitely to get them in a version soon, correct? Yes, I mean, that's true. But Simon said there is a, this feedback from, from the community and from developers, it's kind of important. I also see the, the benefit of six month releases it's amazing <laughs> because without this, I think that wouldn't be possible to make any of those. Well, any, mm -hmm. any feature of those. We, we know how it was in the sun, like three years. Okay, cool. We have it now. Come on, feedback. Okay, so we don't. Okay, next three years. Uh, for my personal thing, I mean, Java evolving so much right now. It's very worth language to consider for, for the enterprise application as as a number one language for the JVM as it produced the less instruction. It's not on steroids like some other languages, like fixing the threads behind and the only just the steroids come visible when you have less processors and less resources. I'm happy to see this, this improvement. I followed a few presentations about all these new features that are coming. I'm really impressed by how thoughtful they are because ideas for future improvements are already part of these things so it's not that the open jdk community jumps on a new feature and fastly implements it no that there's really a very good process of thinking why should we do it if we in the future want to do this will it have impact on the things that we are already doing so yeah i'm, I'm really impressed with how Java is evolving and, and, and this whole community behind it and giving features 
as a preview and then getting the feedback indeed that six months uh, release cycle is very important there. Yes, I, I think that's absolutely true because the the kind of architects behind the Open JDK, people like Brian Gertz, people like Mark Reinhold, and so on, they are taking a very considered approach to how to evolve the platform. As again, you, you rightly say, we're not just throwing features in because, well, you know, another language has got that feature, so that's really cool. Let's put that in Java. But then find that actually, you know, two years, three years down the line, maybe that doesn't work quite so well. So they are looking very carefully at what the long-term futures are. And we're doing this through sort of various bigger projects. From the language perspective, we've got Project Amber, which is a, a collection of sort of smaller language features. So all of these things like record patterns, records themselves, um, the pattern matching features, all of those are coming through Project Amber. And then we've got Project Loom, which is the virtual thread side of things. We've got Project Panama, which is the native memory, native function integration as a replacement for JNI. As a longer term thing, we've got Project Valhalla, which is value types. And that sort of kind of relates back to the whole idea of the scoped values, because that's, you know, looking at using values rather than variables, as Myra quite rightly points out, you know, the, the memory overhead of using variables versus immutable uh, values is, is much better. So, yeah, there's a lot of good work going on there and it is being done in a very considered way. Uh, Miro, uh, you said in your introduction, uh, you just published mm -hmm. the book, Practical Design Patterns for Java Developers. Hone your software design skills by implementing popular design <laughs> patterns in Java. It's a mouthful. What is a really good part, so of course it's about design patterns, that's the biggest part of your book, but you also included the evolutions of Java through the latest versions from, I think you start from Java 8 or 11, what are the most important changes that you've seen in the in the previous versions? I've been thinking what I would love to have in a book about the design patterns because I have been on a teams, driving a teams. They all wanted to implement the all member design patterns in kind of clean code way or just understand. I would say the code produce the code which other will understand. That's the better definition, you know, whether it's clean or not, it doesn't matter, but it's really good that it's useful for others. And I've been thinking what I should add in such kind of books about design patterns. And I have realized after many years of experiencing that people actually don't know what a Java platform does for them. They know nothing about the dynamic translation. They not not really nothing, I would say just hard words, but sometimes it's overcome. Just JIT, dynamic translation how would uh, the memory management works, which are the guarantees. This is why I put in this book some introduction about what the job platform is, how it evolves, which kind of crucial feature has been added from, of course, Java 8. I think everyone says streams, stream API. So, and everyone uses it everywhere. So, plus optional. But the optional had also the reason, and I saw that many times used in the way, well, it's better to not use them in that way because it produced a lot of boilerplate code. Yeah, but it's it. That's it. It's evolution. So I wanted to also explain the module system that has been added. It's amazing and it's very useful if you consider if you have already considered the architecture written how your how actually which kind of parts of your system should be secured and how they should work together. The module system gives you the really security 
it may do clarity in the evolution of your application. Uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of projects using it, but a couple of them, yes. <laughs> Maybe uh, Simonson, I've seen many others. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty really clear. It makes the developer e- development easier. And people are not willing to accept it. They more complain about what is the module system? If I do this, uh, <laughs> we should spend another podcast on modules only. That's on my list of to do's because it's such a controversial subject. And there are, I don't know if they're uh, most pro or contrast, but they're definitely on both sides a lot of people. So we definitely will have a look at modules in, in a later podcast. I agree. I think that will be a, a great subject for a, another podcast because, in, in answer to what Myra said, yeah, I, I don't see that many people using the module system in their application code. I definitely see it used at the the JDK level and using JLink to create tailored runtimes for specific things. But I don't see a lot of people adopting the module system in their application code. I wonder if that isn't because it's too fine-grained. You know, if we're talking about microservices, that kind of makes sense because you're dividing up a monolithic application into specific services. But do you really then need to drill down into the, the next level and start, you know, modularizing that? Probably there is a good reason for that, but um, I think there is a reluctance on the part of Java developers to adopt that because they're used to doing things in a particular way. But yeah, definitely a good thing for another podcast. In your book, Miro, you have an article on Fuji about it. I have written a book review uh, together with Johannes. So that's also on on Fuji. What I was impressed is that for each design pattern that you describe, that you've link to where it is used in OpenJDK itself. It clearly shows that you're involved and and know how OpenJDK is developed. How do you keep up with how this project changes? I can imagine there's so much people involved and and contributing code. (laughs) Are you reviewing all pull requests or? (laughs) No, 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 no. That's not for one person. I mean, that's why the projects, the JDK is bundle of multiple projects and each of those bundle has its own project lead of all reviewers because it's not possible. So what I do actually, I'm checking the code. That's true, which I'm particularly interested in, in a parse, in some parts, how they work. For example, like with the logging API, some of those things have been officially published on the on the internet. But anyhow, there is a kind of art how the things are implemented. It's, for example, collection API. Because at, at the university, you get definitely implement the FIFO or some kind of homework that you are at the beginning. So, but you are, yeah, that's that's true. That's a nice theory. But if you go into the into the production in the industry, which I consider the Java, you will see how how what you, else you need to consider not just only develop it's not about but the deliver the task like the finish the task like to have a FIFO but it's many other things that you need to consider that your implementation needs to reflect this is why I think the Java is so amazing like the language architects are really considering the backwards compatibility and the usage in the future and you see this involvement also in implementation improvements. I am not saying here that everything is implemented perfectly. If it would be, that would be great. <laughs> but you can you can see how, how the codes are changing based on the feature that has been added into the platform. And this is why I've been able to link user. Okay, please, you can check here. 
to the Java implemented parts, I would say. I didn't link them into the C code implementation. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a little bit hardcore, I think, for the book for Java developers. <laughs> and that's actually a fun thing because I wrote a post a few weeks ago about the time zone information in OpenJDK. Mm -hmm. And it's really fun that you can indeed go to GitHub, go to OpenJDK, take a look at the sources, and then you find, yeah. for instance, for Belgium, for me, I find the whole history of when did uh, the daylight saving change. That's there. It's in the yeah. it's in the project. You can find it. You can find how it's used, how it's implemented, how everything is linked yeah. together. Yeah, that's indeed a nice approach is looking into how is Java itself being made and yeah. what the inside this OpenJDK project. One of the reasons what I made it to link to the Java implementation, because sometimes maybe it's happened to you when you have been driving the project, some engineers were so keen to implement some new feature. Yeah, they, they did it. It's like to new implementation example from the linked list. Yeah, but they forgot, oh, okay, this, this thing is already there. So it does not have to be implemented by, by you. The reason why it doesn't have to be implemented because any code you implement, you need to maintain, right? <laughs> and the cost of the maintain maintained could be very high. And the JDK has bubble tested linked list. Yeah, and it's effective enough. I was going to say that that's a really interesting point of view because I absolutely agree with you. But one of the problems that we have as Java developers is that, I mean, I haven't done a, a count on this recently, but I know in JDK 8, there were four and a half thousand public classes in RT.jar. And back in JDK 1.0, there were 102 classes in the class libraries. When I started using Java, I, I could actually hold all 102 classes in my head. So I could remember what we had in terms of, of availability. Four and a half thousand. No, definitely can't do that. But sometimes you, you miss that, don't you? You think, okay, is there a public class that's been implemented in the JDK class libraries that I can use to do that? And it can take a bit of time to find where that thing might be. I mean, the, the collections API is, is an easy one, but some of the more esoteric ones can be a little bit difficult to find and figure out, oh yeah, is that right for what I'm doing? Maybe that's an, a design anti-pattern that's missing in your book. That's the not invented here principle. Huh? I didn't make it, so it's not good. I need to make it myself. That's a classic anti-pattern. There is not mention anti-pattern, but I think it's a, it's a mention somewhere in the sentence, somewhere indirectly. <laughs> this is true, uh, but what um, Simon says, the, the JDK becomes to be bigger, way bigger. It's really hard to catch up with the, all the changes. I figure out you don't have to catch up with all the changes, but just you need to have some some entry points where you should go to take a look when something is different. So there they have been added a lot of builders in the in the collection APIs, not only the collection APIs and the string. How, for example, the handling string, there have been done significant improvements. And also I've seen the significant improvement on Java 20. And there is a other reason for that, but you know, strings are very important to handle. And developers rather implement something what they have in head. Yeah, they, they do this. They maybe it works. It's it's also tested by JUnit, but the implementation on the JDK, it can be very more fastly optimized by JIT compiler. It's maintained. 
yeah, by the definition, yeah, it's coming through the package. So that means if something new comes, for example, string, string templates will make it into ADK and you have already implemented a lot of code by yourself. So what are you going to choose? I would choose the string templates, right? <laughs> Instead of maintaining my, my my implementation. I think this is one of those places where things like Fujay is is very important because that's a, a, yeah. a sort of centralized resource of information and it's a great way of, of having a summary especially when you're looking at what's changed between releases going to fuj and having that ability to see okay what was the difference between jdk 17 and jdk 18 or 19 and get that summary is, is a really useful kind of resource and then you've got articles that lead you into more detail about specific things and you know all that kind of stuff so that, yeah that's a, a great thing there and uh, Miro, if you don't have an article yet on Fuji about these new builder patterns, I know someone who can write that. Oh, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Wait a second. I, but I published, right? When I've been introducing the, the book, I, I wrote uh, the builder patterns, the builder pattern there. Uh, the reason for that was that the patterns are like Lego. It's like a building the application, like a building a Lego. I recently have been playing with my son like building uh, the railway station and the trains. It's amazing, right? Mm -hmm. I recently saw some discussion about clean code and necessity of the clean code and design parents, and that it ended up, so I don't use any of those. I just write a code, okay? So I, just, I, I don't give a shit, I write a code. So I, 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 do, I do agree with kind of, so maybe, you know, the JIT compiler is, and stat internal statistics are smart enough that can optimize in the way. But if you're using initiating new objects and improperly use the casting and so on, it's no chance that JIT compiler does the work for you. Well, yeah, again, that's it's an interesting discussion. We probably have a podcast on this as well, which is the approach to how you program. And how much do you have to think at the lower level whilst you're writing high level code how much should you be thinking okay if i if i do it this way i'm going to produce less objects therefore i'm producing less load on the garbage collector and the memory allocation system versus i just want to write the code the way that makes most sense for the business logic that i'm trying to implement same thing with the jit compiler do i try and write my code with the JIT compiler in mind. My yeah. personal opinion is you should never do that. You should you should write the code in the best way which addresses the problem that you're trying to solve. You should let the runtime system handle that for you. Now, there are, there are obviously situations where you, you need to write more efficient code and you can do, do things, the same thing in different ways. But you shouldn't be thinking too low level about you know how many objects am I creating? How is my code going to work with the JIT compiler? Because... The people who write JIT compilers and the people who write garbage collectors are very smart, and they're normally able to handle the kind of things that people do pretty easily. So I know that when I look at what we do at Azul um, around the, the Prime JVM, where we do replace the, the way the garbage collector works, we can keep up with allocation rates that are like 20 gigabytes a second of object allocation. So you don't really need to think about do I need to worry about how many objects I'm allocating? And if the garbage collector is smart enough, especially if you've got very short-lived objects, which these are typically going to be, garbage collector will just take care of that for you. You don't need to worry about it. So yeah, and again, another sort of podcast that we could have. But you, Simon, touched really important. I, I agree with you too. I'm on the same same way. 
So you should never thinking so low level when you're writing the code. You should feel, fulfill the business need because that's what a gonna pay your check, right? Probably optimized JVM code, bytecode will not pay your checks. But anyhow, the using the desire kind of approach helps you to communicate with your peers. And this is one important thing. And what me is happening while I'm using this is because I would love to understand my code like few years, uh, maybe in a few days. So this is why, why I'm using it, just kind of having the structure. And benefit is it can be optimized in the internals. This is out of the scope, but this is the benefit I'm getting out of it. And we touch kind of slightly different topics, right? But it's still related to the new features that are coming into the Java JDK 20, right? There are have been done the significant improvements like structured concurrency made it try to deliver way how to write threaded application with handling the exception and kind of how to deal with the thread API in kind of descriptable way to the colleagues. Or if you don't understand well, pretty well, I think the structured concurrency may help here to understand what is the scope, where you can forge the scope, how you can join at the end, and more important, how you can close all your threads. And this is one of the things that has been added into the Java JDK 20. It's auto-closable executor service that has been added. So you can use it with try, catch structure, and it will be close for you, which is great. Uh, so we're going back to Java 20. Um, so as we said before, it will not be uh, long-term supported. Why should I start using Java 20 as a developer? The idea behind this is that what you really want to be doing is testing with JDK 20. It's, it's very unlikely that you would deploy JDK 20 into production. The only reason you might think about using one of the feature releases rather than long-term support releases if there's a particular feature in there that you really want to have for your production system. But as we've already said, JDK 20 is pretty light in terms of things that have been added. So it's very unlikely you would want to do that. But the important thing is to test against JDK 20 to make sure that the cumulative set of changes that you get between the long-term support releases don't impact on your application should you then when JDK 21 comes out, want to move to that as a deployment platform. So it's really more about testing than actual use in production. But we must make clear that Java 20 is a full release. It brings bug fixes, it brings improvements. It is just as good a version as uh, 21 will be or uh, 17 was. It is a full release, fully tested yeah. through all the review <laughs> stages of every Java version, correct? Yes. I mean, that, that's why it's called a feature release, because it has features in it. Um, so we have feature releases and we have long-term support releases. So we don't refer to them as you know intermediate releases or anything like that. It's a feature release. It's a fully formed, as you say, includes new things. You could, if you wanted to, use it in deployment, uh, deployed production. Absolutely no reason not to, other than the fact that the updates in terms of maintenance uh, will end after six months. But other than that, there's no reason why you shouldn't use it in production. Initially, the idea was we'll have um, long-term supported versions every three years. So that has been changed to two years. So uh, 17 was the last one, long-term supported. 21 is the next one in September. I know that this project keeps evolving. Is there already 
uh, a lot of decisions being taken about what will be in 21. I know that <laughs> virtual threats, I've seen the JEP, it's in draft. So virtual threats, will they be in 21? That's not sure. Generational ZGC is also a JEP for 21. Are these already decided or when will this happen? This is one of the things about the way that the JD Open JDK development process works is that there is a JDK 21 project already. You can get early access builds of that, but all they've effectively done there is is fork from JDK 20. JDK 20 not being released until next week. So they've forked that off and they've started development JDK 21. A lot of the things which get included in an, the next release will happen over the next couple of months. So we, we get to, you know, the sort of like uh, feature freeze, which will probably be about halfway through the, the actual development cycle. Right now, there's only one thing which is proposed to target JDK 21. That doesn't mean it actually will go into 21, but proposed to target 21 is sequenced collections. We will wait and see whether things like Project Loom and uh, all of that sort of good stuff, and even maybe the sort of the, the record patterns and things like that, whether they make it in. Most likely they will, but they haven't been announced as things that will be in JDK 21 yet. I've seen like, for instance, also for Java 20 already in December 8, there was the ramp down phase. Mm -hmm. So that means already a few months before the actual release, there is a process starting with finalizing that version, correct? That's right, yes. I mean, this is the thing about the, the way that it works. So if you look at the schedule for JDK 20, ramp down phase one, as you said, was 8th of December. Ramp down phase two is like uh, January. So effectively, you know, ramp down phase one is when that's kind of like most of the features are fixed. There was actually one that kind of, <laughs> it ended up getting left out <laughs> and then they had to go back and put it back in again because as somebody pointed out, the vector API, which is not the vector class, the vector API, which allows you to use single instruction, multiple data, wide registers type thing. Somebody forgot to add the the new update to the incubator module there. And so they, they had to go back a little bit later and just say, oh yes, we are still incubating that it's not a full feature but it, it was a fairly minor thing but yes ramp down is where they really kind of decide these are the things that are going in there okay we already talked about that there's not that much involvement with java 20 but what is definitely something you want to tell about this new version 20 there are a couple of things in terms of updates to the existing jeps and the features that are preview and incubator modules first of those is around the record patterns and there's a small change in there which is quite interesting because what they've done is they've dropped the idea of named record patterns what that did allow you to do was to have a record pattern that you could match against with instance of, and then you could provide a name. So you could reference the name of the record in the code that you wanted to use with that. Now you can use the elements of the record, that's no problem, but they also allowed you to have a name of the record. And I looked at that and there, there were some kind of complexities that got involved in that because if you look at the way that guarded patterns work, they use when as the, the way of guarding the pattern. So you say, if um, something is an instance of something, when, and then you give a, a conditional to that. And the problem is that when is used as a uh, contextual keyword, meaning that it only works as a keyword when it's in that particular place. But this really can get very confusing because that means you can use when as a variable name. So you could use it as a name. So you end up with when, 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 
when <laughs> you can actually write that code it's, it's you know i've got this in a presentation i did and the compiler i was i was trying this on jdk uh, 19 and the compiler just gets really confused when you start using when as a variable name with a guarded pattern and a record uh, it just it didn't know what to do so they, they've taken that out to avoid the ambiguity and the, the, the problem of trying to resolve that with the compiler the other thing that i noticed was that in terms of the foreign function, specifically the foreign memory API, they've dropped the idea of a memory address. So they, they did have a distinction between a memory segment and a memory address, and now they're just using a memory segment. And I think that kind of makes things a little easier to work with. It's, it's again, it's a little bit odd because they, they, they say that memory address is effectively a zero length memory segment now. It's one of those things where they're sort of tidying things up and making sure that people have what they need in terms of the features. So I've been right right now thinking about when when when. <laughs> so so and I was like, okay, maybe that makes a sense to make a code review before just pushing such kind of code into the into the production. Anyhow, it's also a nice example. The the reason why the six months releases are kind of required to get of uh read such kind of ideas, which can be really confusing. There, there is a proof that this let's make a sense to have a six, six months releases and fix some kind of issues that shouldn't make it into the long-term support. Yeah, anyhow, you, you mentioned, uh, Simon, that the sequence collection will are targeted to 21. I, I think this is also kind of useful job in terms of handling the collection framework. Initial point, the start point, the first point, the last point. It's already helped because I... I saw many different implementations to fixing the current problems with the with the code. Not as not problems. It's kind of challenge with the current current collection framework. And this is also example how Java evolves and how people are smart and really carefully uh, considering each changes to not break it because not breaking anything with the old code like to make it back but it's very hard. And I think the sequence collections are very nice example how to overcome these old problems to to kind of evaluate the ecosystem in, in a proper way and make a less error prone code. I mean, letting the engineers implementing their own implementation and finding an array or sets the first element. I mean, is it actually because of that kind of bad example code that you've written with the one when when when? That it goes back to the OpenJDK team and community as this should not be possible. This is something we should improve. I, I think that's that's certainly part of it. Is that when when situations like that arise, <laughs> they realise that there are issues that need to be addressed. I mean, with that specific one, I was I was always a little bit confused because one of the changes they made from the original definition of a record pattern and. and more guarded patterns was for the original guarded patterns they used the the and operator so the double and which isn't ambiguous when you can't use double and as a variable name so you can differentiate between all the possible situations but they decided it was more readable to replace the double and operator with when and that then led them into this sort of like corner case where if you start using when as a variable name or as a, a pattern variable and then you use a guarded pattern as well it becomes more ambiguous and you can't quite figure it out so there are a whole range of things that 
it's very difficult to evolve a language like this. So they they have to be very careful and, and do it in this controlled way. So like I say, I, I, I really respect the work that all the OpenJDK engineers are doing in terms of this. We have already a lot to look forward for version 21. And we'll have a new podcast then with the new features. And let's see what's inside uh, Java 21 uh, in September. Thank you for joining and taking the time to discuss the new version of Java. Thanks to the listeners and uh, keep an eye on Fuji for future articles about development and everything related to the Java world. Give me a Foo, give me a J, give me the friends of OpenJDK.